everyone. Welcome back to the Spooky Soup Podcast. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tessa. How you doing? I got some allergies. I'm a little stuffed up in the nasal cavities right now, but you are just going to have to deal with it for now. I'm sorry. But you're here. I'm you, here. You don't sound you don't sound like you do have it. So That's in my good. opinion. I feel like I have like a little snot goblin like plugging up my left nostril right now. So So Halloween's coming up. It sure is. In like, what, two, three weeks? Something like that? You know what's coming out this Thursday? Halloween. Halloween ends. But will it end? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I've Obviously, I'm excited to know because Michael Myers, he can't die. Right. Yeah, he'll never die. But Jamie Lee Curtis, had, I think it was yesterday or today, she like officially announced like she is done with the... Halloween franchise like she'll never come back so I mean her character's at least done I mean if the spot's open I'll take it sure but you know they introduced her granddaughter that's in the right last two movies and so she could take over um, I did see one of the latest previews for Halloween ends and if you guys haven't seen it uh, on Hulu it's the Hardy Boys TV show that Hulu made I really like it. It's really good. Dad loves it. Um, so the the guy that plays Frank, the older brother, uh, he is he was in the trailer. That actor was in the trailer for Halloween Ends. So, anyways, I'm excited to see the movie and and of course see what happens. Yeah, me too. What like creative ways can they come up with to kill people? Right. It's my favorite genre, creative yeah. killing. They already introduced at some point that he had a niece, and then. They introduced that he was part of a cult and that he kills that niece and, and it was so confusing. Rob Zombie, take the wheel on this next one, please. I actually was not a huge fan of his his versions of it. That's okay. It's not for everyone. It's not that... I, I don't know. It's hard to explain, I guess. I I think it was just too much, in my opinion. He does try to accomplish a lot with what he has. That's for sure. <laughs> right, right. So, l- but l- that's typical Rob Zombie for you. It is, yeah. So let someone else take the wheel, in my opinion. <laughs> Michael Bay. <laughs> Who? Michael Bay. Oh, Michael Bay. <laughs> <laughs> Just explosions every time the knife goes in. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then at the post credit, you just hear Lincoln Park. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> what I've done. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> okay. So uh, before we get started, I just want uh, to let everyone know that the images that we will be sharing, if there are any with our stories today, there will they will be posted on our Instagram. So you can check those out there. Um, also... Guys, if you have any stories that you would like to submit for us to read, we would love to read them on the podcast. You can email those to us at SpookySuitPodcast801 at gmail.com, or you can DM those to us on our Instagram, SpookySuitPodcast. And once again, they don't have to be real. They can be completely made up as long as they're spooky. That'd be great. You have the Reddit stories for us today. I sure do. All right, today's Reddit story takes us on r slash true scary stories. This one was posted by Hot Sauce Fire. I feel that one personally. I had some 
uh, today and burned my esophagus. Mm. Yeah. Loaded it up. <laughs> That's all it burned. Yes. All right. And this is called A Really Creepy Experience I Had in Japan. Sweet. Going, uh, going outside the States. Nice. Outside. All right. Pretty creepy experience I had back in the early 2000s in Japan. A little background on me for context. I grew up as a biracial military brat and spent the better part of two decades growing up in Japan. Having spent years growing up in Japan and in the US, I can confidently say that there is something different when it comes to talking of paranormal or strange experiences. I imagine that many on the subreddit may be familiar with how popular spooky Asian stories have come in the last 20 or so years. So read on to hear about some of the strangest occurrences I have ever encountered. During my late teens to early 20s, my social circle and I had a naive obsession with exploring places in Japan known for paranormal activities, urban legends, and investigating creepy areas. This was prior to advent of reality television really blowing up like ghost hunting shows. In Japan, shows like this would broadcast regularly in the summer, like October is a witching season for Western cultures, the month of August is for Japan. This was our motivation for partaking on these excursions. So here's my story. As a military brat who grew up in Japan while attending school on a U.S. military installation, I graduated in the early 2000s. Following graduation, most of my graduating class moved back to the U.S. to pursue college or start their adult lives. Most would leave and never return to Japan. My parent is Japanese, so I had every reason to return. It was December, and I had just returned home to Japan after my fall semester at college. To my relief, a couple of my friends chose to remain in Japan after high school, so I had friends to hang out with while home on vacation. One evening, I'm out joyriding with my buddies. We had nowhere important to be and just were driving around aimlessly. Occasionally, we would stop by popular hangout spots for young adults hoping to meet some cute Japanese girls to flirt with, as how else would a couple of young 19-year-old dudes want to go spend the evening together? My friend, which I'll call Jay, had a 90s Nissan Silvia, aka 240SX, outside of Japan for all you car folks, and he was obsessed with drifting. Truth be told, he was not good at it. You really couldn't fault the guy for trying, though. That evening, he suggested that we take off to Asamizo Park near our hometown of Sagamihara, as this large public park had many parking lots peppered throughout its grounds. The lots were prime locations for him to practice whipping his car around while not causing damage or fender benders. Without hesitation, we all agreed and headed that direction. Twenty minutes later, we were passing the main entrance to Azamizo. During the day, this is a pleasant public park that many people recreate at. Japan, in comparison to other countries, is a very relatively safe country. This park was no exception to that notion. However, it did have some unfortunate events happen there. I'll elaborate on this more later. After driving into the park for about seven minutes, we reached the first parking lot. It was around 10 o'clock at night. We pull in and park. I hopped out of the car and pulled out a fresh pack of cigarettes and lit one up. The evening was brisk. I gazed around, letting my night vision calibrate as the lights far off in the distance twinkled. My other friend with us, R, also lit a cigarette, and we proceeded to have a conversation about whether Jay would be able to even get his car sideways. Jay pulls out and begins to whip his car around the parking lot. 
As Jay's car spun counterclockwise, the wailing of his tires attempting to grip the asphalt broke silence in the evening. Even now, I can close my eyes and still remember the smell of burning rubber. Adjacent to the parking lot, there was a tree line that led into some thick brush and wooded area. The park was known for its green belts scattered throughout it. I remember looking over my shoulder a few times that evening because I had this feeling that we were being watched from the woods. But each time I scanned the tree line, I saw nothing out of the ordinary. What happened next would cause me to jump so hard that I laugh even now when I'm thinking about it. The cell phone in my right pocket starts ringing and vibrating and I jumped with a fright. The fact that paranoia had set in from watching the tree lines did not help with the anxiety experienced from the unexpected phone call. As I was attending college in the States and only back on vacation, I no longer had a cell phone in Japan. In fact, my younger sister had sent her phone to me so that I could be reached if necessary. I pulled the phone out thinking that she or my mother was calling for something, as none of my friends even had this number. I looked down at the green backlit LCD screen and saw displayed in Japanese it was a restricted phone number. I thought it was strange, but figured maybe my sister was calling from a public phone. I said, Moshi Moshi, that's how you answer a phone in Japanese. And there was nothing but silence for a response. I remembered hearing a bit of static, and then finally I heard the voice of a Japanese girl. My immediate thoughts were this must be a friend of my sister, and so I explained that I am her brother, and am borrowing her phone for the evening. If she needed to get a hold of my sister, she should ring the house. She apologized, and I reassured her that no harm had been done, and then promptly ended the phone call. I placed the cell phone back in my pocket and focused back to the ruckus of noise coming from Jay's car. It must have been not ten minutes later, and the cell phone in my pocket began ringing again. This time, I was sure that it had to be my sister or my mother. Earlier that day, I left home and didn't say where I was going or when I planned on returning home. It wasn't uncommon for my mother or sister to call and ask if I had eaten dinner or if she should leave out food for when I return home. I pulled the phone out and once again, I have a phone call and it was from a restricted phone number. I answered the phone and this time the voice of the same Japanese girl was on the other end. Before I could ask why she was calling for my sister, she cut me off. Now, based on the previous phone call, I thought there were a couple of things that seemed off. I know most of my sister's friends and recognize their voices over the phone. This girl, on the other hand, I did not. Additionally, my sister never mentioned anything about new friends and her circle was tight. She wasn't very big on being a social butterfly, but perhaps I was wrong. My sister's three years my junior, and so my assumption was this girl had to be around my sister's age and far too young for me. I had very little interest in engaging in conversation with her. As she probed me questions, I kept my answers vague. I didn't even know why I continued to entertain a conversation with her, but hanging up would just be very rude. Suddenly, she asked what I was doing in a park so late in the evening. I almost began to answer, then it dawned on me. I didn't mention anything about where I was or what I was doing. I told her I never said I was at a park. She lightly giggled and tried to play it off, insisting that she thought I said I was at the park. I told her this was weird, and that I needed to go and hung up. Jay grew tired of drifting in the parking lot. He pulled up to us and from the driver's side suggested we change up the scenery. R and I hopped back into the vehicle and off we went. Now at another parking lot, we hop out and Jay continues to do his thing. This parking lot had soccer fields not too far from it, 
and the lamps in the parking lot were painted in orange hue, so it was, it was a bit comforting. Oddly enough, the feeling of being watched returned to me. I swung around to my right and stared at the empty field on the other side of the parking lot fence. There was nothing. At this point, Jay parks his car and shuts it off. Now silence and a thin film of burnt rubber veiled the parking lot. R starts asking what was up with the phone calls. I began to explain to Jay and R what transpired. They both agreed it was a little strange, but speculated that maybe my sister mentioned to her friends that her older brother was back in town. Jay proceeds to tease me that I should start talking to the chick, but I protest because I have no interest. Suddenly, my phone rings again. Same deal, restricted phone number, and same girl. This time, she sounds a bit more aggressive. How come you left? What was wrong with the last spot? She then says, you left the last parking lot you were just at. I remember the hair standing on the back of my neck. I made it a point to be vague and never mentioned what I was doing or where I was. Yet somehow, this girl knew what I was doing and knew that we had left the first parking lot. Something didn't feel right, so I hung up on her. A moment later, my phone was blowing up. I answered again, and this time I rate. What do you want? There's silence, and then I hear light static. In a sort of hushed manner, I hear her voice. I'm at the field. I see you. I spin around and face the field looking for any signs of a person. I remember my heart racing a bit as I fumble to figure out exactly what was going on. What do you mean you see me at the field? I asked. She tells me that she sees me standing with my friends, wearing my gray jacket in my buddy's car. She tells me that she's coming over to us and wants to hang out. Then the line goes dead. I look at both J and R and give the rundown on what she said. They both had weird looks on their faces, and I know them well enough to know when they're lying or pulling my leg. They both just look clueless. My phone rings again. Hey, I'm almost there. Will you wait for me? The girl asked. Huh? No. What is going on here? Why do you keep asking me questions? Why do you know where I am? Just who are you? I know all my sister's friends and I don't recognize your voice, I exclaimed. I never said I knew your sister, she replied in another hushed manner. At this point, I was like, WTF. I look back at the field and I don't see anything. As I'm still on the phone with her, I asked where she was. She said that she would be there shortly. I'm sure my friends sensed the panic in my voice. Jay goes on about nobody knows where we are and how does this chick seem to have our location? Mind you, this is the year 2000, and social media, internet 2.0, and smartphones are not a thing yet. People just can't get your location. On top of that, we're a few kilometers out of the way. You don't just randomly run into people like this. The evening is getting later, as it's past 11 p.m., and I have no explanation as to what's going on. My phone rings again, and before I can even answer hello, she asks if I can see her. I'm spinning and jerking like a laundry machine agitator at this point. Both of my friends decided that this was too weird. R yanks the phone from my hand, proceeds to speak with her as well. R, feeling like this is a joke, decided to toy with her a bit. He starts to ask her what she's wearing. She begins explaining something to him from what I can hear and from how he responds. He then asks her what color her undergarments are, but then she abruptly hangs up. R tells me that he thinks he annoyed her enough that she won't bother calling again. We all nervously chuckle as we can't even begin to understand what just happened. My phone rings again. Same deal. Restricted call. 
I answer again, this time upset, but I'm cut off. Her voice is much louder now. I could hear what sounded like wind in the background. She begins saying that she's quickly approaching us, yelling to not leave her. She wants to be with us. All of a sudden, I hear Jay drop a soda can as he faces the field. What is that? I remember Jay saying. I hang the phone up. I look at both my friends, and Jay motions to jump in the car. We all jump in, and he stomps on the gas as we make our escape. My phone rings again. I look, and although I don't want to answer, I feel as though I need to. I take the call, and I can hear her voice. It sounds slightly huskier. She casually said, It's a shame that you all left before I could reach you. Jay is driving frantically away from the park. At the time, I had no idea where he was taking us. It was just quiet in the car as I had my phone held up to my ear. Oh, well, I guess I will just need to follow and find you at the family mart that you're going to stop at, she said as she gave a creepy laugh. I then replied, What do you mean by family mart? Before I realized it, Jay had cut the wheel hard and pulled to the side of the road and threw his four-way hazard lights on and brought the car to a sudden stop. R nearly hit the dashboard, sitting in shotgun seat. Jay turned and looked at me. I can still remember the white look on his face. He then quietly asked, How did she know I was taking us to Family Mart? Family Mart is a Japanese convenience store chain found throughout the country. I hung up the phone and then powered it off. We sat in silence for a moment there. This felt like a weird dream or something. I told Jay, let's go somewhere else. Shortly after we drove to a 24-hour restaurant that was our hangout spot, where many of our Japanese friends frequented. We just wanted somewhere brightly lit and somewhat crowded to chill out. As we walked up to the entrance, I could see some friends occupying a booth. We walked in and proceeded to join the party. After we ordered some coffee, we started explaining the strange occurrence. Initially, everyone listened on with excitement, but as I explained the story, the look of excitement written on everyone's face eventually faded and it got awkwardly quiet. Another female friend of mine who sat across from me I'll call her A, looked at me and asked again whereabouts in the park we were at. She, as she asked me this, I could see her make eye contact with her boyfriend, H. He pulled out a cigarette and lit it just as he went into his explanation. He then began to explain, You guys, you all know what happened at Asimozo Park, right? We all exchanged a blank glance. Continuing, there was an incident that happened in the park one evening where a girl was walking through the park. Someone approached her and dragged her into the green belt where she was raped and strangled. I heard some rumors about some bad juju associated with that area. In disbelief, I scoffed. You're joking, right? Without any hesitation, he looked at me and said, Nope, but we should probably go to a shrine. Her spirit might have latched onto you. That's good. Japan has some crazy stories. Yeah, and I will just say that their horror movies, <clears throat> excuse me, are insanely scary. Like, I feel like they're leaps and bounds ahead of a lot of horror franchises we have here. I agree. There, Yeah, there's like a lot of American re remakes of these horror movies from Japan that just don't live up. Right. And uh, yeah, they're terrifying. Like, yeah. I, I think I mentioned this before, but can't do the grudge. Just because, like, I wa I I can watch it now and be like, man, this is so cheesy. But when I first saw it, I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and now it will always be a a nope movie for me. Yeah. So, good story. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. 
I love scary stories about Japan because, you know, I've got some coworkers who lived there for a while and they love talking about a lot of the folklore and uh, how it changes based on where you live. And it's really cool just hearing some of their stories. Yeah, sure. The videos I've seen online of people catching paranormal activity in Japan is like 10 times scarier than what we see here. Like you see like full faces and, you know, like, someone actually staring at you whereas stuff i've seen in the states it's like a shadow which is still scary but at the same time it's like not a full face that you see right so it's just like an orb on the left hand part of the screen yeah yeah (laughs) i wonder if when we die there's like rules (laughs) and it's like you're not allowed to do this this and this and then you go to japan they're like ah who cares show your whole face scare them (laughs) yeah scare them they're in your house now yeah you know, I I just think that they've mastered the art of the uncanny over there. Because sure. it's not all about the jump scares. It's about what's waiting in the darkness and you don't know. And you'll probably never know, even by the end of the movie. Right. Yeah. So. I agree. I thought this story would be good, once again, because Halloween is right around the corner. Wait, I forgot to ask you. What are you going to be for Halloween? No clue. No clue! <laughs> I usually dress up every Halloween. Uh, last year, my wife and I were Matilda and Miss Trunchbull. And <laughs> That's I w- right. <laughs> and I was Matilda. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, this year, we don't have any like plans for Halloween itself besides like staying home and handing out candy. I don't know. We might go to a friend's house or something. So other than that, like we haven't planned on dressing up for anything. Oh, also... We have really stupid friends in our lives who don't love the classic Halloween parties, you know? Like, if I try and throw a Halloween party, people will, like, not even try to put a costume on if they do show up. I hate that so much. I hate that. It's like, uh, match my energy. <laughs> yeah, match my energy. Like, I even, I'll even, like, have a prize waiting for them. Like, last year, I threw a Halloween party, and most of the people dressed up, which were great, but... In in the whole whole sense of things, no one took it as serious as I wanted them to. So I actually just didn't give out the prize. I just skipped it all together. Nice. Did you keep it for yourself? Yeah. What was it? It was just, I think it was, uh, oh, it was a big old bag of pink Starburst. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was an awesome prize. Yeah. So, anyone here in Utah who wants to throw like a legit Halloween shindig, let us know. Because the people here suck. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's just a millennial thing. Like, people just don't want to dress up anymore. I don't know, man. I've got a pretty good Halloween party on the calendar. Sweet. Yeah. My friend's house. She and her boyfriend are going as Pennywise and Georgie. That'll be good. And then my guy and I were going as Purgers. We got, like, our masks and baseball bats all bloodied and all that good stuff. Nice. I've done that before. I dressed nice. up as a, a perger. It's an easy costume, yeah. but it's classic. All I did was go get the mask from Spirit Halloween, and then I wore a suit. Perfect. And my hair was just long enough. It was like the guy from the first movie. So I just yeah. slicked it back. So Like one of the elite pergers. Yep, exactly. Yeah, one of the Ivy College pergers. Mm-hmm. Yep, the D-bags. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, with that being said... Um, I love masks. You know, people who know me know that I love the Halloween 
franchise, um, like we discussed earlier, because that movie's coming out. Um, it's what really turned me to the horror and slasher film genres. The never-ending rivalry between Michael Myers and Laurie Strode, well, that is until this upcoming Halloween End movie comes out. You know, we don't really know the outcome yet. Um, I actually have the full outfit of Michael Myers put together and displayed in my front window, so I apologize to my neighbors. But remember, it is his day, after all. <laughs> Instead of Santa Claus, you get Michael Myers on Halloween. <laughs> oh, it's great. He, I mean, you can see him in the daytime, too. Like, even though there's reflections on the window, you just, like... If you're looking, you can just see, like, from the corner of the window, just this guy staring at you. It's creepy. It's so creepy, you guys. It looks so good. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, and even better at night, because I put a strand of orange lights that that uh, show him pretty well. So. Oh, right on. Uh, one of the most terrifying masks I think we can all agree on is the mask from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, uh, Leatherface's mask, which is the mask made of human skin. Disgusting. I love it, though. <laughs> I love that it changes based on his emotion. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's another mask that I want to talk about today, and that mask belonged to the Beast of Jersey. From 1957 to 1971, the Channel Island of Jersey, which, by the way, is an island near the coast of northwest France, so not New Jersey. I had to look that up because I was confused when I first read it. That is very confusing. <laughs> It was terrorized by a masked person. This person was known as the Beast of Jersey. The Beast would enter people's homes and only attack women and children. He would stalk his prey and make sure the male figure in the home was out of town. He would enter people's homes donning a horrific rubber mask, a woman's wig, a long overcoat, and studded bracelets. He would do unspeakable things to these women and children Sometimes his victims would wake up before he attacked them, and all they would see is this grotesque rubber face staring down at them. The beast would use rope to tie his victims up, even using a noose around their necks, and then perform his sexual acts. When the beast was unmasked in 1971, the community was shocked to find that it was a man named Edward John Louis Pinel. Pinel was your average Joe maybe even more. He was a contractor and loved by the entire community. He was even loved so much that everyone look, looked up to him as a strong, heroic figure. He played Santa Claus at Christmas time and handed out presents to all the little girls and boys. It's always the ones you never expect. Well, because of the community liking him so much, he was able to avoid getting caught for so long. Edward had a wife named Joanne Pinell, and they had three children together. No one suspected he would be the one terrorizing the community. In early 1957, I believe it was in February of that year, a woman was found in a field. She was covered in blood, cuts, and bruises. Earlier that day, a man in a long trench coat, hat, and a scarf to cover his face approached her at a bus stop. He beat her over the head, knocking her unconscious. He took her to that field and brutally raped her. Even though she was able to make a full recovery, the masked man disappeared. Soon after, in March of 1957, he attacked another woman. 
She was on her way home from work and had just arrived at her bus stop. Unbeknownst to her, a man was stalking her, tailing just behind her. Using the same method as before, he beat her in the back of the head and dragged her body to an empty field by her neck where he raped her. He did this again in October of that year to a 31-year-old and a 28-year-old. At this point, police and the community were scared and worried. I'd be terrified. Oh yeah, sure. And once again, small community. So everyone knows. Yeah. All the women that were attacked gave the same description to the authorities. A man around 5 foot 6 inches and also in his mid to late 40s. They also noted a strange musty smell coming from the attacker and an awful Irish accent they believed he was faking. At this point, the press had gotten a hold on the stories and they nicknamed the attacker the Beast of Jersey. It seems like attacking women in fields wasn't good enough for the Beast. Three years later, in 1960, he began his attacks again, but this time he changed the way he approached his victims. Now, he was attacking them in their own homes. Now, at this point, no one was safe. In February of 1906, the beast made his way into a home of a 12-year-old boy. The boy woke up to a bright light shining right in his eyes, so the boy couldn't see who the attacker was. Before the boy could react, the beast placed a rope around the boy's throat and hauled him outside to a nearby field where he sexually assaulted him. When the beast was done, he simply brought the boy back to his house and just disappeared again. Uh, Hated. Just a month later, he attacked again. He noticed a woman walking home and he pulled over to ask if she would like a ride. He said that he is a doctor and would love to help her get home safely. She graciously accepted and hopped in his car. Soon, she realized that they weren't going the correct way to her home. She looked over at the man and also noticed he never showed his face. It was covered by a scarf, a collar, and a hat. By the time she realized something was completely wrong, it was too late. They drove to a remote part of the island where he beat her, tied her hands, and forced her to walk to a field. He then beat her and raped her. When he had finished, he began to drive her back into town. There was a moment when the car had slowed down and she knew that was her only chance to escape. She opened the door and flung her body out of it with all the strength she had left. She let out a huge yell for help and the beast drove off scared that someone would see them. Luckily, she survived. Just a few weeks later, A mother and her 14-year-old daughter were sleeping peacefully in their little cottage. At midnight, their phone rang. The mother woke up to answer the call, but heard nothing coming from the other end. Finally, the phone call ended with a click. Thinking nothing of it, she went back to sleep. Later that same night, she was scared awake by a loud thump that came from somewhere in the house. Scared, she turned the lights on to the family room. When she reached the bottom of the stairs, the lights went out and she knew something was wrong. Hiding in the corner was an awful looking figure staring at her. She ran for the phone but noticed the line was cut. When the masked figure lunged at her, the mother's screams woke up the daughter. When the 14 year old yelled down the stairs for her mom, the attacker left the mother and ran up the stairs to get the daughter. While she had a moment, 
the mom left the home and ran to the neighbors for help. When police arrived, they all went back to the cottage and found the daughter tied up, beaten, and raped, but she survived. The beast was nowhere to be found. What an awful mother. I just want to point out. Yeah. She's like, here's my getaway. <laughs> like, you don't want to grab a knife to like... Right. I mean, like, I get it, trying to get some help, but come on. 14 year, years old. Yeah. She can't fend for herself, really. The daughter tried to save you by screaming for you. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> now, at this point, the police were desperate. They asked all men on the island to voluntarily give their fingerprints. Only 13 denied to do so. However, the beast later turned out to be one of the 13. Of course. There was a strange man that lived among uh, the citizens of the island. A fisherman known to keep to himself and to be pretty rude to people when it wasn't necessary. His name was Alphonse Le Gastileo. Due to what people thought of him around the island and how desperate the police were, they arrested him. After 14 hours, he was released due to lack of evidence. Unfortunately for him, the media had his name. The locals burned down his home and ran him out of town. He was forced to relocate to a group of islands east of Jersey. He lived a long life and died at the age of 97, but unfortunately, you know, his life was pretty messed up at that point so that's when after the case is solved you buy a billboard on the other island that says ha wasn't me <laughs> <laughs> exactly the attacks kept happening and people were enraged that the police had not done anything really to catch the man committing these crimes in 1966 the beast sent a letter to the police this is what it reads my dear sir i think that it is just the time to tell you you are just wasting your time as every time I have done what I always intended to do and remember it will not stop at this but I will be fair to you and give you a chance I have never had much out of this life but I intend to get everything I can now I have always wanted to do the perfect crime I have done this but this time let the moon shine very brit in September because this time it must be perfect not one but two I am not a maniac by a long shot but I like to play with you people you will hear from me before September and I will give you all clues just to see if you can catch me yours very sincerely wait and see in August of that year a 15 year old girl was attacked and raped in her own home this time something was different this victim was left with scratches in perfect parallel lines as if someone held four blades to them and cut with them at the same time. It's just four perfect spaced cuts all the way down. Later that month, a 14-year-old boy was attacked and left with the same scratches. Authorities could not understand where these perfect parallel scratches would be coming from. The boy also noted that the attacker was wearing a horrific mask. In the summer of 1970, police were chasing a car that had run a red light. The driver of this car was adamant about getting away from the police, but it didn't work. The car was let off the road and eventually ended in a tomato field. When police seized the driver, they ID'd him as none other than Edward John Louis Pinel. 
When they searched the car, they found a long overcoat, a woman's wig, spiked bracelets, and a horrific mask. They knew something was wrong with this guy, so they arrested him. While on the way to the station, they noticed that he had a type of musty smell coming from him. When they later emptied the coat pockets, they found a black torch with tape on it, black tape, so light would only shine through a small part of it. Pieces of rope and cords, a wool hat, and duct tape to keep his victims quiet. Do you want to see the mask? Yes. <laughs> oh, they... Oh, <laughs> that's totally Leatherface. <laughs> it's, it's right up there. It's disgusting. And I'm not sure, like this this picture, it, it looks dirty, where this one, it looks more cleaned up. So I think this is how they found it. And then they, I'm gonna guess they like cleaned it up or something, but. Must be. So you can see um, in this image, he has these nails sticking out of his coat. Mm-hmm. And he said, he gave some excuse, like um, it was so that no one would hug him or something like that. But I mean, who, why would someone do that? Right. You know. Uh, he's also a tall guy. No, he's not. He's only 5'6". Oh, wait. Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's him. Ew, he's ugly. He's just, yeah, funny looking dude. And then there's the, uh, the whole ensemble. So, those that's parallel, terrifying. those scratches were because of his new spike bracelets. Those are like inch long spikes too. Mm, they're, yeah, they could cut deep. So, in the image, he's wearing the mask, the woman's wig, the long coat with the spikes coming out of it, and his spiky bracelets. I, it's hard because I hate it, but I'm also like, I hardly see anyone this creative in horror films. Can you imagine waking up to this face? No. And like the thing that kills it for me is it's got like Killian Murphy cheekbones (laughs) and and like the rest of it looks like Leatherface. Like it's, it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. I read an article that said that it was made of human skin, but it's rubber, so. (laughs) I feel like they would have mentioned that a victim was skinned. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so it's rubber. How did he make it, though? That's what I'm wondering. Maybe he didn't. Maybe it's just an old Halloween mask that he... Changed? Yeah, just changed on his own. He DIY'd? Yeah. After only 38 minutes, the jury found Pinell guilty and he was sentenced to only 30 years in prison hold up 30 years i think it's because it was mostly rape and he didn't actually kill anyone but i mean that's not an excuse that's just what i'm thinking Mm. to help the jury come up with their verdict authorities found evidence of a shrine built in pinell's shed a place where he would perform blood rituals before going out at night to perform his terrorist acts. They found that he worshipped a person named Guille de Reyes. Uh, and I apologize if I'm butchering that. But de Reyes was a knight and lord from France in the 1400s. He is arguably the world's first serial killer uh, that some say. He is known for luring in hundreds of children and murdering them. In 1991, after serving 20 of his 30-year sentence, he was let out for good behavior. He tried to move back home, but the community didn't forget what he did. Afraid for his life, he moved to the Isle of Wight, where he died three years later from a heart attack. Scared for his life? Come on. (laughs) 
exactly. Well, I would be. I mean, well, I know, me too. Right. So after his death, more evidence has come up of his crimes. There was a children's home named Le Preference that the beast loved to visit. Children slash victims would later recount that they would hear noises or sounds of someone moving around in the crawl spaces at night. This this was one of his favorite places to go because he obsessed over the ability to watch them sleep. And in that moment, they're vulnerable. Unfortunately, one of the victims from the home became pregnant with his baby. <gasps> no. Yeah. So I don't really know how they didn't just like, like, hey, someone's attacking our kids in this children's home. One of them's pregnant. We should probably put security out. But Edward's mother-in-law, she was the one that ran the children's home. So even though he snuck in at night, wearing, I'm guessing, wearing his mask and all that, he was still able to visit the children during the day and create personal friendships with them. They even called him Uncle Ted because they loved him so much. Uncle Ted? Because he was, remember, he was Santa as well. Ah. To this day, they still find evidence of the beast's crimes. Even though he claims he never murdered any of his victims, they actually um, unearthed some skulls where the children's home used to be, or at least sections of where it used to be, which doesn't make any sense why else they would be there. There were no other records of attacks on these children. And, uh, and of course, they did say that children would run away. And so when it, when it comes to runaways, they don't really do much about it because they're like, oh, it's not our problem now. So, I mean, run away. More like he took them. They're like, oh, run away. Exactly. So, even though he claims he never murdered anyone, he probably did. Wow. So, like Michael Myers, the Beast of Jersey's mask will haunt his victims' nightmares for the rest of their lives. Honestly, it scares even me to this day. Happy Halloween, everyone. Spooky, spooky. Ah, I don't like it. <laughs> that was scary. Good. Fantastic. I did it. <laughs> You did a really good job. I haven't heard of that before, but I think I've seen the mask before. It's like, here's the inspiration for Chainsaw Massacre's mask. Leatherface's mask. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I have, before I found the story, I have seen pictures of the mask and thought, that's disgusting. Uh, But I hadn't, I didn't know the story. It's insane. That's going to stick with me for a while. Mm-hmm. And I still think it's crazy because, once again, it's a small island off the coast of France. There's only a certain amount of people there, and this this one person is terrorizing the whole island, which is just wild to me. So, anyways, crazy, crazy, crazy. Wow. Well, do you have anything else for us today? That's it for me. All right, guys, we'll scare you in the next one. Stay spooky.